This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Explosions. From the smallest firework to a volcanic eruption, there's just something about things that go boom that people have always found both fascinating and terrifying. That's because while our human curiosity wants to know what made the sound, our basic survival instinct tells us that very few good things ever follow an explosion. Take fireworks, for instance. Since their invention around the 2nd century BC in China, people have gathered in large numbers to witness the unique nighttime spectacle. Of course, back then, they were more like firecrackers. But it didn't take long before low-grade pyrotechnics were being launched into the sky. Sure, they could be detonated individually, but the real show began when they were sent up by the thousands. The aerial display of exploding multicolored sparks was often nothing short of awe-inspiring. Yet, as beautiful as fireworks are, they're not too far removed from your average military munitions. When words like rockets, mortars, and shells are used interchangeably between the two very different industries, maybe it's because they're not so different after all. When a fireworks warehouse in the Dutch town of Enschede exploded back in May 2000, the scene could have easily been mistaken as a war zone. The factory was built by SE Fireworks in 1977, and at the time, was located outside the town. But as Enschede expanded, residential neighborhoods eventually replaced the rural landscape. In fact, as thousands of families moved to the area, many had no idea that one of the country's largest suppliers of pyrotechnics was right in their backyard. For almost 25 years, SE Fireworks operated with no major issues, and certainly nothing that would have endangered the community. That was until around 1 p.m. on May 13, 2000, when a small fire caused one of the worst fireworks disasters in history. Even though the facility was designed with safety features to reduce collateral damage if such an event did occur, it clearly underestimated, well, everything. Over the years, the site became more for storage and less about manufacturing. By 2000, it was warehousing far more than it was designed for, or allowed to. As the fire quickly spread through the main building of the complex, it came into contact with over 2,000 pounds of pyrotechnics. As the fireworks ignited, they became projectiles, starting fires all over the compound, including where the majority of the stockpile was held. First responders had no idea just how much SE Fireworks was storing. At just before 2.30 p.m., the first of two massive explosions rocked the area. 
It blew out windows of homes and businesses within a several-block radius. An hour later, just as shocked onlookers were confident the worst was over, the second and far more powerful blast sent fire and shockwaves tearing through the neighborhoods. It was five times the strength of the first explosion, and could be felt almost 20 miles away. In an instant, the entire area was completely destroyed. Over a dozen residential streets were left burning. Hundreds of houses were completely destroyed, with more than a thousand others damaged. Emergency workers on site never had a chance. Four firefighters were among the 23 people killed in the incident. Those left injured by shattered glass and falling debris numbered close to a thousand. Rescue teams have all but given up hope of finding survivors buried in the rubble. People in Enschede are asking why a fireworks factory was situated so close to a residential area. Indeed, these are scenes like the aftermath of war. Residents evacuated from here will be allowed back home as soon as the authorities are certain it's safe for them. But it'll take a long time for their memories of yesterday's deadly fireworks display to fade. Investigators would later estimate the power of the second explosion was equivalent to around five and a half tons of TNT. The explosion that obliterated SE fireworks and the surrounding community was one of the largest non-war-related blasts on record. Unfortunately, 20 years later, the Enschede disaster would pale in comparison to an explosion that ripped through the Lebanese capital of Beirut. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. Explosion. You can see the plume of smoke rising into the blue sky there. Breaking news from Lebanon. The capital, Beirut, has been hit by a massive explosion. The cause of the blast is not yet known. It's caused widespread damage and appears to be centered on the city's port area. The chain of events started in early 2014, when Lebanese officials took possession of an abandoned cargo ship. The vessel was carrying almost 3,000 tons of ammonium nitrate, a chemical typically found in fertilizer. While its use in agriculture might give it a less terrifying-sounding purpose, ammonium nitrate is also one of the main components used in certain explosives. The dangerous cargo was carefully transferred from the ship to a nearby warehouse. The situation was incredibly concerning to officials at the port. They had no intention of allowing that much volatile material to sit in their storage facility. No less than half a dozen official letters were sent to various government departments requesting the confiscated shipment be removed as quickly as possible. One letter read, in part, In view of the serious danger of keeping these goods in the hangar in unsuitable climatic conditions, 
we reaffirm our request to please request the Marine Agency to re-export these goods immediately to preserve the safety of the port and those working in it, or to look into agreeing to sell this amount to an explosives company. No response was ever received. Countless phone calls were made and hundreds of emails sent, but no action was ever taken. For over six and a half years, the huge stockpile of ammonium nitrate sat inside warehouse building number 12. For some reason, the extremely hazardous material was sharing space with fireworks. Incredibly, a few buildings over in warehouse number 9, pyrotechnics were being stored, waiting for something to go wrong. At around 6 p.m. on August 4th, 2020, something did go wrong. That's when sparks from a nearby welding job set fire to one of the warehouses. Reports indicated that it was storage hangar number 9 that first went up in flames, igniting the fireworks inside. It didn't take long before a team of firefighters was on site assessing the situation. The intense fire was quickly spreading to other warehouses around the port. Emergency workers reported hearing the sound of exploding fireworks all around them. At 6.07 p.m., roughly 20 minutes after the fire was first reported, a huge explosion of pyrotechnics went up in a ball of brightly sparkled fire. The blast damaged several buildings, including Warehouse 12. According to reports, upwards of 40 cases of fireworks were also being stored inside Number 12 mere steps from the ammonium nitrate. Roughly 30 seconds after the first explosion, the massive stockpile of the chemical compound detonated. The blast was so powerful that it was felt over 150 miles away. Where the port area used to be was now a giant crater spanning over 400 feet wide and almost 150 feet deep. Buildings and houses over 6 miles away were severely damaged, leaving more than 300,000 people homeless. A cruise ship that was anchored close to Warehouse 12 called the Orient Queen was so badly damaged by the explosion that it capsized killing and injuring several crew members. When the shockwave reached Beirut's international airport, roughly six miles away, it shattered the glass doors and windows of the terminals. More than 7,000 people were injured that day, while another 218 lost their lives. None of the first responders on scene made it out alive. Many people were injured or killed while recording the fire from their apartments, just as the explosion ripped through the city. One man died while live-streaming the incident. In the aftermath of what experts have called one of the most powerful, human-made, non-nuclear explosions ever recorded, people were looking for answers. In an effort to appear in control, Authorities rounded up dozens of so-called suspects, from low-level port employees to government ministers, 
and charged them with various counts of negligence. While many of the accused insisted they were being used as scapegoats, most agreed the incident was a combination of several factors. In the years leading up to the explosion, for example, Lebanon's economy was in a free fall, with the national poverty rate exceeding 50%. The government was in a constant state of chaos, resulting in a virtual standstill. Adding to the crisis, in the months prior to the tragic event, hospitals across the country were pushing full capacity due to the rising cases of COVID-19. It's not surprising that very few people were concerned about what was being stored inside Warehouse 12. The 2020 Beirut explosion registered a 4.5-magnitude earthquake and had the same yield as over 1.1 kilotons of TNT. That's the same measurement used to describe the strength of an atomic bomb. Yet, as powerful and devastating as the event was, another blast that occurred over a hundred years earlier detonated with three times the force. That incident is known as the Halifax Explosion. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. On December 6, 1917, a cargo ship called the SS Mont Blanc was slowly making its way into the busy port city of Halifax in Nova Scotia, Canada. The French vessel had just arrived from New York after being loaded with explosives and fuel to support the European war effort. It was around 7.30 in the morning when the ship entered an area known as the Narrows, not far from the Halifax harbor. It was a tight waterway that required incoming and outgoing ships to go slowly when passing each other. At the same time the SS Mont Blanc was passing through the Narrows toward the harbor, another ship, the SS Emo, was headed out to sea in the opposite direction. The Norwegian ship had arrived in Halifax Harbor a few days earlier and was in a hurry to depart after being delayed for over a day. As it was leaving the harbor and entering the Narrows, the Emo was forced to change course to avoid an oncoming boat traveling in the wrong shipping lane. It was now in the same lane as the approaching SS Mont Blanc. At 8.45 a.m., the Mont Blanc sounded the horn to alert the Emo that it was in the wrong channel. Acknowledging the warning by sounding its own horn, the Emo refused to correct course. It was now on a direct collision path with the Mont Blanc. Desperate to avoid the ship, the Mont Blanc turned hard to the left. At the same time, the Emo reversed engines, which caused the bow to veer into the other vessel. 
the two ships collided, but thankfully, the damage was not critical. The force of the impact did, however, cause large amounts of the fuel cargo to leak onto the deck. The highly flammable liquid then flowed down into the storage compartments. When the Emo started backing away from the stricken ship, sparks from the scraping metal ignited the fuel. As fire spread throughout the Mont Blanc, the crew were ordered to abandon ship. While the lifeboats headed in the opposite direction, the French crew tried in vain to warn approaching ships of the extreme danger. No one could hear them over the noise of the busy harbor. The vessel was now drifting straight toward the Halifax piers, where it ultimately came to a stop a short time later. Attempts to extinguish the blaze failed, so plans were made to haul the burning ship away from the downtown port. The scene was quite a spectacle and drew crowds of onlookers. It wasn't often that a huge cargo ship sat burning in the harbor, but very few people were aware that the ship was a ticking time bomb. 20 minutes after the collision with the SS Emo, at 9.04 a.m., the explosives aboard the SS Mont Blanc detonated. The shockwave created by the blast moved outward at a speed of over 3,000 feet per second. The temperature at the center of the explosion reached nearly 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which instantly vaporized the water around it, leaving the seafloor exposed for a moment. As the blast wave tore through the streets of Halifax, those closest to the harbor died instantly as their internal organs were crushed by the pressure. Along with buildings and vehicles, people were picked up and tossed through the air like twigs. One person reportedly landed over half a mile away and was lucky enough to survive. A fireball stretched out for miles from where the Mont Blanc used to be, setting ablaze everything in its path. On the heels of the initial blast wave came a tsunami created by the massive amount of displaced water. A wave as high as 60 feet obliterated entire communities on both sides of the harbor. Half the residents of Halifax would be left homeless. As a mushroom cloud rose to a height of almost 12,000 feet, the destruction back on the ground was apocalyptic. Windows had been shattered over 60 miles away, and everything within a few miles radius of Halifax Harbor was leveled. It's estimated that over 1,600 people lost their lives within the first few seconds of the explosion. Hundreds more were critically injured, and soon were added to the growing list of fatalities. Close to 10,000 people were wounded in the incident. Many of the injured were blinded by shards of glass and other debris. Nearly 6,000 sustained eye injuries, making this one of the worst mass blinding incidents on record. In fact, the Canadian National Institute for the Blind was formed less than a year later as a direct response to the tragedy. The Great Halifax Explosion of 1917 remains the single largest disaster in Canadian history and is widely considered to be the most powerful human-made blast prior to the atomic bomb. To put that into perspective, the devastating explosion in Beirut had a yield of 1.1 kilotons of TNT, Halifax Harbor experienced the equivalent of 2.9 kilotons. 
There have been some close seconds, but when it comes to the sheer destructive power of an accidental detonation, Halifax takes first place. Two incidents that came pretty close to matching the intensity of the Halifax explosion happened just six months apart from each other. They both occurred in 1944, the first in Port Chicago, California. It was July 17th, and munitions were being loaded onto a ship at the Port Chicago Naval Facility. Officers in charge were constantly pushing their crews to move faster. There were no real safety measures in place for such an obviously dangerous work environment. It later came to light that neither those in command or the enlisted personnel were ever trained to handle explosives. It didn't matter, though, because crews were advised that the deadly cargo they were loading could not possibly explode. According to officers, the munitions would not be activated until they reached their destination, at which time the fuses would be added. That was not exactly accurate, and led to crews routinely damaging rockets, shells, and bombs. So, it was only a matter of time before something happened. At around 10.15 on the night of July 17, 1944, a fire started on the loading pier after witnesses heard what sounded like a crane collapsing. A small explosion was followed a few seconds later by a massive fireball that quickly expanded to over three miles across. The center of the blast was a U.S. naval ship that had spent the past four days being loaded with thousand-pound bombs, among other munitions. The vessel was also carrying over 5,000 barrels of fuel for its upcoming Trans-Pacific crossing. The 320 personnel working on the loading dock that night were killed instantly. Their injuries were so severe that only about 50 were ever identified. Close to 400 others, including civilians from the nearby town, sustained injuries as a result of the 2.2 kiloton blast. Because the loading crews were made up primarily of African-American enlisted men, the Port Chicago disaster is also responsible for 15% of the African-American casualties throughout all of World War II. The incident in California was still fresh when, only five months later, the largest explosion the country of England has ever seen was unleashed. On the morning of November 27, 1944, a weapons storage bunker run by the Royal Air Force was completely destroyed when over 4,000 tons of high explosives blew up. The huge depot was built underground, and when it was destroyed by the two kiloton blast, it left a crater over 100 feet deep and almost two and a half football fields wide. An estimated 90 people were killed or wounded. Massive explosions, of course, are not always human-made. In fact, when it comes to the destructive power of things that go boom, leave it up to Mother Nature to prove time and time again that humans have nothing on it. There are few things on the planet that can make the most powerful bombs seem like firecrackers. When stacked against the force of a volcano, for instance, the competition seems a bit unfair. On April 10th, 
1815, after a series of smaller eruptions, Indonesia's Mount Tambora exploded in spectacular fashion. Until then, the volcano had been dormant, so no one in the area could have imagined just how violent and destructive an event it would be. They had no idea that it would be the most powerful explosion in human history, and that when it was over, it would kill nearly 100,000 people. At around 7 p.m. on that evening of April 10th, Mount Tambora lit up the sky. The sound of the largest explosion on record could be heard over 1,600 miles away. The force of the blast took over 5,000 feet off the mountain's peak, sending a column of debris almost 30 miles into the atmosphere. With millions of tons of sulfur and other fine particles lingering in the sky for months and even years, the eruption created some dramatic climate issues. By the following year, the average temperature around the world had dropped by almost a full degree Fahrenheit. On the other side of the globe from Indonesia, places like the U.S. were experiencing what was dubbed the year without a summer. The entire northern hemisphere of the planet experienced the second coldest year in over four centuries. Snow and frost during the early summer months had a devastating impact on food supplies. In fact, the vast majority of fatalities was not caused by the pyroclastic flows of the volcano. They were from people starving to death. Aftershocks from the Mount Tambora eruption continued for an incredible four years, ending in 1819. To find an explosion as powerful as the most violent volcanic eruption, you might have to look up. That's because, in the constant game of galactic pinball, asteroids might take the top prize. It was just before 9.30 in the morning on February 15, 2013, when a meteor entered Earth's atmosphere. It was relatively small, about the size of a bus, and weighed roughly 7,500 tons. As it traveled over southwestern Russia, the object lit up the morning sky with the brightness of the sun. The spectacular event brought people to their windows to watch, many of them recording on their phones. Without warning, an explosion equivalent to around 500 kilotons of TNT originated from almost 20 miles above. A blinding flash of light, and then all hell broke loose. Dizzying explosions, shattering windows. In the streets, pandemonium. Terrified residents thought the world was ending. People started to panic. Somebody screamed, the end of the earth, he says. The blast was roughly 30 times more powerful than the atomic bombs used during World War II. In this case, however, the atmosphere absorbed most of the energy. But the shockwave still damaged thousands of buildings across half a dozen cities shattering glass and injuring over 1,500 people. Thankfully, there were no fatalities reported. The 2013 incident is the first and only mass injury event due to a meteor in recorded history. It's also the biggest object to hit the planet that we know of in over a century. On June 30, 1908, 
a meteor leveled a densely forested area in eastern Russia. The damage in the remote area spanned almost 900 square miles and destroyed approximately 80 million trees. The Tunguska incident, as it's known, is believed to have produced upwards of 30 megatons when it detonated about three miles up. The explosion remains the largest meteor impact since the age of dinosaurs. It's impossible to predict when and where the next major explosion will occur, but whether it's human-made or an act of nature, it's only a matter of time.
of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by me. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. The cover art and design were created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Have any comments or questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com As always, A huge thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.